This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Uh, Today, another in our short series covering changes to the interview structure for this coming uh, 2022-23 season. Um, Today, we're delighted to be joined again by Dr. Stacey Cantero-Wolf. Dr. Wolf was uh, with us on a previous episode last year when we were featuring the programs of North America uh, leading up to the last interview season. Uh, She's at Wake Forest in the neurosurgery department where she serves as the program director. So Dr. Wolf is a a prime candidate to come on and share the opinions and perhaps some forecasting for these changes to the structure of our interview season that we've been discussing these past few weeks. Dr. Wolf, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. And, um, you know, I, I hope that I can share a little bit of both uh, my, my personal experiences as well as our experience at Wake Forest, but also as the past chair of the Medical Student Committee for the uh, Society of Neurological Surgeons, the SNS. Um, and I have had the privilege uh, of serving, you know, for the past four years. So really from before to through and to after this change to virtual interviews happened, Uh, I'm thrilled to say that Dr. Chambliss uh, has taken over um, and she has done just a really spectacular job in putting together some SNS webinars for the medical student applicants. Uh, And so I encourage you to check that out because it really goes into some pretty good granular detail about what changes have come because they're they're significant and and there's been a lot of this ongoing change. Um, But what I can definitely say is that organized neurosurgery has been really committed to identifying these changes, to helping nationally to mold and morph these changes, uh, to make sure that they are best for all applicants and and definitely serve our neurosurgery applicants very well. So, you know, just just diving in, um, you know, with obviously the change to virtual, um, it's Personally, it's not my favorite. I would much rather be able to interview folks in person. Uh, It's more fun, to be honest. Um, You know, there's something about sitting down with somebody, having a cup of coffee, having a dinner, you know, to, to really get to know folks. However, I think from the program standpoint nationally, when you look at our results over the past three years, We've done well. The programs are, are able to figure out what we need to know about the applicants, uh, even virtually. Um, and there's been good and very successful matches over the past three years. And so that is unchanged from previously when, you know, before virtual. Um, you know, but interestingly, hearing from many of the applicants and doing the surveys and such, what the applicants are missing is that ability to see what the program looks like. Uh, you know, what's the location? What's that granular interplay? We all know that over virtual, uh, you know, platforms, whichever ones they are, you can't really have that interjection and and really, uh, you know, um, very uh, ability to go back and forth and discuss things quite as well. You have to wait till the last person stops speaking. So there's no interrupting. And you know, half of neurosurgery is interrupting somebody else to get your point across. Uh, So anyway, it's, um, it's not perfect. But it's, it's doable. I think some of the things that have been important from the neurosurgery side uh, is to really let the ACGME 
and all of the government governing bodies know that we do prefer in person, and, and that is something that we are trying to get back to. Uh, we've also made it very clear that it is critical that our applicants have the ability uh, to to visit um, some some places, and it's almost like a reverse visiting professorship, if you will. You know, the ability to go and to meet the greats of neurosurgery, uh, the people that are writing the books to be able to see different hospital systems. You know, that's something that we're graded on, right? With our, mm -hmm. uh, with the milestones, um, you know, socioeconomics, hospital systems, uh, systems-based uh, functioning, all that's really, really important. And so what we've done with the SNS is to create a month of educational visits. Um, really, this is geared so that people can go to maybe their top three programs, or maybe they've got two programs that are, are really close neck and neck that they want to see what the differences are. Or maybe there's a program where they just didn't quite get everything that they needed to know before they say, this is where I want to go for the next seven years of my life, right? That's common law marriage. Uh, and so it's not so much, and it, it is not at all, in fact, a second look, okay? That, that is not a thing. Neurosurgery does not support that. But these are educational visits so that people can go and learn some neurosurgery, learn how different hospitals work, learn how different programs work. And so in order to make sure that we're being absolutely fair, that there's no bias, uh, and that it is not a second look for any programs that want to participate we are having to certify our rank list first. So basically at the end of January, beginning of February, the dates will come out, um, neurosurgery will certify their rank lists. Uh, and then students, applicants will have the ability to go and visit, again, one, two, three, maybe programs. We don't want this to be everybody flying around the country getting 10 programs in there. It's not gonna help you uh, from the rank list standpoint. Our rank list will all be certified. It's to help the applicant so that they can get those, you know, like I said, those, those educational pieces that, that might help them. Um, and even, you know, this may be something they might go and say, hey, you know what, I really want to visit Miami. I want to visit Wake Forest. I didn't even apply there, but I just want to know and get to know Dr. Wang and see how he does something, you know, and, and that's what this is for so that you can see some of neurosurgery because we're really missing that. Um, and, and it's, you can tell, you know, the folks that have come in in the past three years, they've never met their colleagues at all. Um, you know, and, and that's not going to start happening until they really start going to national meetings and Neurosurgery is small specialty, you know, and, and there's 3,000 of us, and I can't imagine not knowing all of the neurosurgeons. So something clearly that we're working on um, with that. And so, uh, so I think that's one really big thing. Um, the other, of course, really big thing is, is this whole supplemental application. Um, and I have mixed feelings of this personally. Um, I, I had to lead the charge of what we were going to do with this. Most people know it as preference signaling, but the preference signaling is actually only one small piece of it. Um, honestly, probably the most inconsequential piece, although it's what gets everybody's blood pressure up a little bit and understandably so. The reason that neurosurgery decided to do the supplemental application is because we needed a seat at the table. It is very likely that the supplemental application will become part 
or supplant the ARIS application as we know it. And so and that is ongoing and we're working at that um, with the NRMP. And so my concern was if we didn't take a role in this and we said, eh, we're not really interested, then whatever specialties did take a role, they get to call all the shots. They decide what it looks like. They decide how it's rolled out. And we, ha- we are not able to say anything. And so as leadership, we decided let's get a seat at the table. Let's, we'll pilot this. And that's what this is. Um, you know, and, and we'll see how it goes. And there's going to be things that are not useful to us at all. There's going to be things that probably don't work. And there might be some things that we find are helpful, but we're going to be able to have that conversation with the NRMP and help to craft how this looks. Yeah. Well, well Dr. Wolf, we've talked a few times in uh, previous conversations about the preference signaling aspect of that. But I, I think this is the first time that other aspects and kind of the overall supplemental application has been brought up for our listeners. So maybe if you could um, give us a little of the inside baseball from your time at the SRF and and kind of detail, A, what are those other components that you're referring to with the supplemental application? But also, I'm curious, and I'm sure our listeners would like to know, how are these things decided upon? And when, when you're meeting with the, uh, the group of the, the group of the SRS who's deciding on how these interviews will be conducted within neurosurgery, how do those conversations go and how, how do the final policies get hammered out? All, all great questions. So let me first uh, go through what the supplemental application looks like, and then we can we can get to some of the nuts and bolts of that. Um, and I'd like to tell you it's it's a very pretty uh, and clear protocol, but it, it's definitely not. Uh, right. So supplemental application, three parts. Uh, the first part is, and what's what is going to become a significant portion, likely, of the ARIS application, not supplemental, not optional in the future. Is this uh, is is basically this idea of sharing five formative experiences, and so you know this could be something that you have uh, you know been a leader in your soccer team you know all the way through college. This could be that you uh, worked at the Red Cross. This could be that you went on a missions trip. It could be leadership. Any of these things, but and, and all of those, of course, get listed right on our CVs in the sub in the uh, regular uh, application. But the difference with this is that you basically pick five that have really formed the person you are. Why, why do you want to go into neurosurgery? Ah, because I'm a leader, because I'm you know, passionate about this, blah, blah, blah. And so you pick then things that you've done that show that. And you have the ability to write a very short little snippet or blurb about each one. And then you actually classify it into what are the characteristics that this helped me to form. And so they actually have done a very good job uh, with the mock-ups, if they go with the mock-ups that they started with, uh, of how this can look and how programs can actually use this to help select people and characteristics that they're looking for. So instead of it being a long laundry list of all the things that you've done, for instance, a program could go and say, hey, I want to see everybody who has leadership as their first, you know, their first formative thing and research as their second thing. Uh, and so you can filter like that, um, you know, and so some programs might want to have a wide variety of things. Other programs might be looking for, for similar types of characteristics. Uh, and you're able to really, in, with good visual um usage, be able to filter those kind of things from the program side. And so 
to some extent, there's little pieces of the personal statement that will be included in here. Uh, and part of the big goal is going to be to, right now, this is a supplemental application and it's all redundant. Ultimately, getting rid of that redundance and really just picking the things that are most useful to the programs uh, will be what's included in the ultimate application. Stay so that's that take it seriously, you know, as, as you're doing it, it is optional, but it's optional on the way to becoming dogma, if you will. Stacy, yeah. uh, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, it's always great to, to hear from you. And, uh, you know, the folks here in Miami miss you dearly. We talk about you every day. Uh, you are truly a legend here. Um, thanks for coming on. And I, I, let me just issue a disclaimer. You're not, officially representing the SNS in any capacity. And we're just having a radio show talking about uh, some of the new changes. And I, I want to thank you for sharing that knowledge with our audience. And, and I just want to make that super clear, right? You're not representing anybody officially in this in this process, right? Correct. Well, kind of. No. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. so no, I am not. I am not uh, speaking dogma from the SNS. Um, but I was the medical student chair at the time that all of these were were uh, made, all these changes and decisions were made. Um, and so Lola is now the official chair and I'm the past chair. Um, and so I will tell you when it's a personal thought, like I said, you know, personally, I'd much rather uh, interview in person. Uh, but that clearly is not an SNS policy. OK, perfect. Um, so, yeah. so I again, don't take any of this as any kind of criticism of what's being done. We know that change is always difficult. We become ossified and we're like dinosaurs and neurosurgeons are traditionally fairly conservative for that reason, because we don't like to change things that we know work, right? Um, right. But of course, this has been thrown upon us and you're absolutely right, having a seat at the table. And I, I actually was really disappointed when neurosurgery was no longer early match. I actually think it maybe should be something like, I don't know if dermatology still does a late match, but you know, there really has to be skin in the game for that. But that being said, we are where we are today. And let me ask you about this, this issue of the supplemental application, because to me, it sounds like a great idea. I think, look, more information is always helpful to us, but didn't these young men and women basically go through the college application process and then the medical school application process doing these same things? In other words, is the espoused written narrative of whatever you wanna say about yourself equal, equivalent, or even a surrogate marker of who you really are? In other words, are we just going to screen for the people who are better bullshitters or better writers or better liars? I can think of lots of instances where people overtly lied on their personal statements about their personal history. And I don't mean papers they wrote, but rather the, the, the uh, emotive personal pieces. Like I remember one guy who said he slept in a car for most of college and it turned out all to be basically BS. Um, but, you know, everybody talked about it, like this guy's got real grit. And once he became a resident, it was obvious that this this was not the person he said he was. And that was in the era of yeah. sub eyes and interviews. So I guess, you know, and I know it's not a substitute. I know that wasn't the intent. But tell us about how that goes. And the second piece I want you to get to is the, the issue of having to submit the rank list from the program side first and then having the applicants do this tour, if you will. That puts all the onus, responsibility and um and advantage to the applicant. So in other words, the applicant gets to get a look and then put the rank list. And what if we already put our rank list in and guy shows up and it's like, that person's a psychopath. We don't get to change the list, right? So I want, I hope you can comment briefly. I know it's a complicated question. I know our audience is at least the older people want to hear about stuff like this. 
Sure, absolutely. So the uh, I, I completely agree with you. So I'm taking off my SNS hat, uh, and this is my personal hat. The supplemental application, I, I do think, is it's it's completely redundant. I think it's re, it's it gets at the information that we ask on the regular application in a better way than just kind of the personal statement. Um, but currently, it is completely redundant to that. However it's likely going to be morphed to this. And so that's why, again, seat at the table so that we can say, okay, this is what doesn't work. This is ridiculous. This, you know, X, Y, and Z, so that we can at least get, give that feedback and make some changes to help make it better for our specialty. Um, you know, you're exactly right, Mike. There are going to be people that are not honest. Um, but the good news with all this redundancy is if they lie, they're going to have to lie really well on a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. You'll be able to catch them a little bit easier. Um, <laughs> the other part with the supplemental application is this geographic preferences, which again, SNS hat off. This is my personal view for neurosurgery, I think is quite silly. Um, but there may be some folks out there that for some reason or another, family reasons or what have you, really have to signal that I need to stay in the Northeast or the Southeast or what have you. The vast majority of people in our specialty, which is small and mobile, are going to go wherever it is that the program fit is best for them. Uh, so that's another thing that's not terribly helpful or exciting. And then, of course, the preference signaling, which I'm sure that you've talked about ad nauseum. Um, and my non-official take on this, again, this is my per personal uh, thoughts, is we don't need preference signaling. That's not been a problem for us. We've got the data to show that. Um, you know, preference signaling is to help people get interviews. And for the vast majority of folks, they get interviews. Now, what our problem is, in neurosurgery, again, these are my personal thoughts on this, um, is that we need an application cap. We have applicants that the average applicant applies to 80 or more programs, which is insane uh, and costly. And you know, you don't you don't need to go and interview at 80 or more programs. We know and we have the data for the past 10 years that it does not help you if you rank 20 or more programs. So once you've hit 19 programs ranked, you don't have any improvement in your chances of matching. Um, and so what I would like to see is that we actually use this preference signaling as a pseudo application cap uh, where, you know, we give out 20 signals because we know, again, that that's our that's our data um, and people can look at it like that. Now, that was not that, that was a huge change. Uh, there was concerns kind of both ways. There's no d data to support that that's how preference signaling could work. But the good news is ortho did it for us. So they actually have preference signaling cap of 30. Uh, and we'll see how that works for them. If it works great for them, then maybe that's what we adopt. Um, maybe we go more the way of ENT where they're actually lowering their preferences down to three. Um, and so, you know, we came about ours because we basically said, look, you know, we want to make sure that people have five signals that they can give. And then there was a lot of confusion as to do you signal your home program and the places you do your sub eyes at or not. So we added three for that. Um, so anyway, who knows what's going to happen with that? It's we're good. We've been good. I'm not worried about how this is really going to affect the match. This is more of the pilot. Let's see what happens. And then we can give feedback as to what needs to happen. And we'll watch ENT on one side and ortho on the other to see what we need to do with that. So now 
to your other question, how are these decisions made? This is an outstanding question. Neurosurgery is a really small specialty. And in fact, we've been left out of the conversation uh, a lot of the time. Uh, as you may know, ENT Dermatology, they did this pilot last year. We, we weren't even approached with this. Uh, it was one of these, oh, we, we, didn't, we didn't know who to contact kind of thing. And so Katie Orico has got to get major props for this because she actually stumbled upon this, that this was going on, quickly brought it to my attention. We brought it to the whole SNS leadership's attention uh, and then formed a very small, very facile working group between Dr. Chambliss, Dr. Mayer, uh, Dr. Tamai, um, and then, like I said, the SNS leadership to very quickly investigate very, oh, and, and Dr. Heth, I'm sorry, from Michigan, um, you know, find out everything that we could about this and we basically had two weeks to make a decision. Um, and so uh, like most of neurosurgery, not optimal, but we roll with the punches. We got what we got. Um, and again, it came down to we need a seat at the table so that it's, you know, otherwise these decisions are basically being made by large specialty like pediatrics and internal medicine. And they don't have all the same issues that we do as neurosurgeons. You know, Dr. Wolf, um, I think that's a great amount of insight into kind of how the sausage is made, so to speak. And so I, I would like to kind of circle back to one of the points Dr. Wang raised about this new process um, of the educational visits and the time point in which that occurs with, with kind of the sequence of events where the program has put their list in, then the applicants can visit, and then the applicants get to make their rank list. Obviously, as Dr. Wang pointed out, that does favor the applicant in terms of giving them extra information before submitting their list. And it, it somewhat conversely disadvantages the program who, as he pointed out, if then they, they learn that someone is not what they appear virtually, their list is already submitted. So what was that decision-making process like uh, for our field? Is that a change that's specific to neurosurgery as well, or is that yes. general for the match overall? No. So this is very specific to neurosurgery. Um, the position of the AAMC, which is kind of all of the governing bodies of the for, for medical students, essentially, is that there will be no in-person visits. That is the recommendation. That is mm. almost the dogma. Um, and so neurosurgery is pushing back and has pushed back and said, look, this is something that's important to our specialty. It's important for education. Um, and so and, and because of that, you're exactly right. This is not designed to give the programs a leg up or any kind of advantage. This is for education purposes only. Um, and that is the only way that we are able to get it through to even make it happen. Um, and so, you know, let, let's be very honest. The entire match is applicant centric and likely should be, right? Uh, when you're looking at power gradients, programs have the power uh, and the applicants are at the mercy of programs, the match, all this kind of stuff. And so the match is specifically set up to be applicant centric. Um, this is, again, not to advantage or disadvantage anyone, but it's to give the applicants information. Now, to Dr. Wang's point of if somebody comes in, because and I tell everybody this when I do my talks and what have you, you know, what are you looking for in an applicant? Let's be very honest. We're looking for not a sociopath. Uh, we need someone who's going to complete the program, and we need someone who's not going to quit the program. Uh, you know, and then of course we want someone who will excel and be a great neurosurgeon. But the most important thing is that you're not a sociopath. And so, what happens if you identify something that's a significant concern as a program? 
you know, Dr. Chambliss's uh, um, directive and in discussion, again, with, you know, the national leadership, not just of neurosurgery, uh, you know, but with the NRMP has been that's something then that the program director or chair would take to that institution's DIO um, and then make those decisions on, on that type of a level. Um, because we can't plan for every contingency. Uh, most of the time, it's unlikely you're going to find a sociopath, but you may. Uh, and so that's something that then you would bring to your DIO, the head of the GME at your institution, and make some, you know, ha have that conversation at that level. But this is purely for the education of applicants and neurosurgeons to be. And it's difficult, difficult to make that situation. But again, the party line nationally for medical education is there will not be in-person visits. And therefore, to make it happen for us, we had to put some strict guidelines in place to prevent against the potential bias of, oh, well, this person came to visit my program, so we're going to go ahead and rank them high. Hmm. Stacy, that's wonderful. How informative this has been. I know that you are just a wealth of information and um, we want to be respectful of your time. I know that you're busy you're on stroke call and, you know, you've got a family and all that. But I, I think the information you've given us has been just absolutely uh, tremendously helpful for clarity, uh, even for myself to understand the perspective. Often people don't understand how the sausage is made, as JP said. Uh, we would love to have you back on in the in the future, maybe right after this cycle and see debrief on it a bit, if that's OK with you. Sure, I'd love that. And we're all learning this together. And I, I would say the one thing that's so amazing about neurosurgery is that we all pulled together. We were faced with bad circumstances, lots of change, uh, and we all came together as a specialty to share our collective wisdom and make these things work. Um, and so, you know, I, I think we're a specialty that navigated this very well, recognized when we didn't do the right thing, didn't make the right choice, fixed it quickly. Uh, and that's going to keep going on, you know. And so, so I think feedback, keep it coming, keep it coming to me, to Dr. Chambliss, to the SNS, uh, because it's, it's not perfect. And we are fully aware of that. Uh, and, and we're navigating tons of change. There's more changes coming down the pike at us, um, you know, and, and so we're learning all we can and, and navigating that. Yeah. And a great shout out uh, for Katie Arico. I'm glad you brought her up. Uh, just for our listeners, Katie Arico was interviewed on episode 35 on the politics of neurosurgery. Katie's a good friend of both uh, Stacy's and mine, and, and she is essentially our lobbyist. Um, people always ask me, why am I paying dues or the meeting fees for the double ANS and CNS, and they think it's just something for the meeting. The reality is that uh, our advocacy in Washington, uh, having someone like Katie in our corner, as you indicated, Stacy, is um, people people don't even realize what they've had until they've lost it. So thank you for for bringing her up. And Stacy, thanks for coming on the show. We look forward to having you back again. JP and I always love your energy, enthusiasm, wisdom, and perspective. Thanks so much. Uh, you, you guys do an amazing job and, and uh, it's really important to get all these issues out there. So we appreciate it. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. 
It's just a show, everybody. 